you get a lot of people who are drawn to the dramatic, who are drawn to the extremes of any sort of belief or politics or whatever, and they make it very hard for everyone else who believes that way for slightly calmer reasons. Hello, I'm Dave. I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together. I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better. Better. Better acquainted with you. Today, we're getting uh, better acquainted with Elspeth. Hello, Elspeth. Hello, Dave. <laughs> Maybe at risk from kitten attack. There is, yeah, that's right. There is a cat in the room. Uh, Elspeth's cat is in the room, so if the if the microphone gets attacked, that's what's happened. Um, so I'm just I write, I'm asking a couple of um, stock stock questions, same questions okay. every time, just to start with. So the first one is, how did I meet you? How did you meet me? What was your memory of that? I can't remember the exact instance, but you were in the group of people known to me as Zoe's theatre friends. <laughs> um, I was very good friends, and still am very good friends, with Zoe, who I think you're also Yes, I did her interview last night, yeah. She was a theatre studies student. That she was. As were you, so that's how I met you. And I know that she was definitely selling you to us, in that she was like, you guys all really like my friend Dave from oh Theatre Studies. Um, he, he likes to talk about stuff. <laughs> and at the time, everyone was a bit, well... Okay, <laughs> stuff we like talking about, but I must say, um, there was a period where I was quite intimidated by Zoe's theatre friends. Ah, I see. Um, so I, I probably avoided you for the <laughs> <laughs> the first few months of our acquaintance. Yeah, I didn't really fit very well into necessarily into theatre studies, but uh, but yeah, I, I I guess you didn't necessarily know that. I think um, I wasn't very self-confident at the time and my impression of that group was a group of very confident, assertive, dramatic people. That was my impression of them as well, yeah. <laughs> and um, and some of them I've met since and have been absolutely lovely people and it's all fine. But um, yes, for a time I avoided that. Well, theatre studies is a... As a, as a subject is one I think a lot of people try to avoid um, people from, um, which is not to say anything necessarily bad about theatre studies. And the other question is, what do you do now? That's the question. What do Interpret I do now? Interpret it as you, li- as you wish. Um, well, I'm a social worker who works with adults in London, so that's a big part of my day accounted for. The cat is actually literally, as we speak, eyeing me up in terms of going to pounce maybe some point there is a wire dangling from ah, the headphones yeah and, that's and the that's headphones that thinking. i can hear the monitoring of this interview with. good okay well you were studying philosophy when you were at yes. university um and i was i i've never studied philosophy i've got a, mm, amateur awareness of some elements of philosophy but i mean having studied philosophy do you think that was a valuable subject to study? I think it was definitely valuable on a personal level. I think philosophy is valuable to everyone because it's about thinking about things and challenging assumptions. Um, and I think that's valuable for everyone. 
in terms of a qualification that led me into the workplace, <laughs> not as much. Um, I went and retrained as a social worker after two years of working in supermarkets and general social care related things. So in those terms, my degree did little for me, but in terms of it being valuable to how I approach problems, how I look at things, I think it's been really valuable. Do you think it's valuable, I guess, to society as well? I mean, Yes, I think that um, I grew up in a religious family and I am still, at least nominally, a Christian myself, although I don't walk the walk as often as I should. Okay. Um, but one of the things that I always respected and really appealed to me about my parents' brand of religion was they always answered questions and they were always willing to do so and had very little time for anyone who had a belief and a faith and would just say, nope, that's what I think, there is no alternative to that um, because what they always said was, well, if you can't justify your belief, even if your justification is it just feels right, if you can't justify it, if you're not willing to argue about it, then how can you say it has any any value? You, everything you do, you have to be able to think of, well, why am I doing this? And I think philosophy's good for that. Do you think you took from that a kind of, um, do you think that philosophy has taught you to be a devil's advocate or do you think that you have felt that there are certain you felt more certain in what you believe and what you don't believe in a kind of clear straightforward line I mean I think that philosophy definitely teaches you to be a devil's advocate I think that I over the years I think you said it to me yourself once I over the years have become a little more absolute as I've been exposed to real life a little bit more. I probably don't know very much philosophy anymore. In fact, I was looking over our bookcase, which we had to tidy up before you came, and most of the philosophy books on there are Luke's. Right. Um, <laughs> in terms of quotations and things, I probably don't remember that much. It's been pushed out by, you know, weird sci-fi trivia and... Life. Yeah. Life. I know, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you very much about um, quite a few of the things that I studied at university, I think. I've got on my list of things to talk to you about, I've got feminism on there. Mm -hmm. And I've got that because yesterday when Zoe came round, I was talking about what the sorts of things I was thinking of talking to you about, knowing uh, that she, I was coming here today. And she said, um, you should talk to her about philosophy and feminism. So I put those okay. down. Why do you think Zoe gave me that question, that kind of topic? I think um, feminism is something certainly Zoe and I have talked a lot about. It's very interesting. I find as I get older, when I was a when I was a little girl, the first time I realised feminism was even a thing was there was a science club at primary school and it was in fact a excuse for the headmaster to play with toy rockets. <laughs> and my <laughs> I really wanted to be in the rocket club, but Mum asked me why I wasn't, and I said, well, it's because it's all the boys. And what I meant was, 
the people who played football at a certain time, it was that gang of people who all happened to be boys who were there. What my mum heard was, my nine-year-old thinks she can't be in the science club because it's for boys. So my mum went into that school and she taught, we had a week of assemblies about women in science. There was a huge recruitment drive and about six girls were recruited into the science club. But it was really the first time it had ever even occurred to me that someone might one day say I couldn't do something because I was a girl. Um, it was a bit scary, to be honest, to realise that was something that evidently my mum was quite scared of. I used to think of it as being something that um, was important, but important in a historical sense. Yeah, a lot of women the... say that when they're younger, I think. And But now, as I am older, and it becomes more and more relevant, looking at the way that um, I'm sometimes treated because I'm a woman. I don't encounter much blatant sexism, but it's there sometimes, in, particularly with older gentlemen. Um, Isn't an interesting question in terms of feminism, and I'm a man who was brought up in a feminist household. Um, I don't classify myself as a feminist because I find it problematic for men to do that, though mm. I've got male friends who call themselves feminists. Um, but isn't there an inherent unfairness in terms of biology that is some pr problem that we need to kind of also articulate when we're talking about achieving equality? Yeah, I think, I mean, at the very, um, at the very basic level, people are always going to keep having babies. Women are always going to have to be the ones who have yeah, to do yeah, that. Exactly. A baby is pretty dependent on you in those early months, so you have to take however long off. Um, and then is it reasonable to say that you know that if you make that decision, and this is one of the things where, as I say, as you get older, it becomes much more relevant, because although I don't know if I'm going to have children in the future, I do know that a lot of my friends around this age are mm. and people who've trained very hard for careers you take a year off you're behind and you're also always then going to have another priority although I think it's unfair to fathers to suggest that they don't have that other priority as well but statistically speaking mm. I mean it's easier and more common for fathers to avoid that responsibility. But I think that that's almost something that we perpetuate, and that women perpetuate as well. Um, I remember when I was a little girl, um, I was ill one day, and this was before mobiles, so I was at school in the nurse's office, all day because mum had gone out shopping and she'd gone out shopping with her best friend who was the secondary emergency contact and mum got to mum got to the school um, as what I now recognise a relatively young woman and was berated by this middle-aged school nurse and 
probably felt like a naughty schoolgirl herself. And she was saying, but why didn't you call her father? You've got his number. He's in his office all day. He could just get on the train. He could be here within an hour. Mm. You're saying I deserted my child, but she has two parents. And the nurse said, we don't like to disturb fathers. And my... And admittedly, this was the 80s, and hopefully we've moved on slightly, but my father was furious. Because he felt like his role as my dad had been negated. He wasn't good enough for them to call when I was in trouble. Mm. And... I think that it's when we spend such a lot of time talking about mother's rights and all this, Mm. I think if you don't give fathers the recognition of the importance of their role, then it becomes very much easier to just drop it and just walk out. Um, And if you don't if you don't treat what they're doing as important, then why should they treat it as important? And I think um, both my parents were incredibly important to me. Mm. And they both did different things. and But not necessarily along gender roles, they just both supported me in different ways. And still do. But I think that those we need to respect those roles if we're gonna hold someone to the responsibilities they have to have the rights as well so you you mean that to res- we need to respect the equality of the parent parental yeah. role but not enforce the traditional male roles necessarily uh, not male gender roles yes exactly i i mean if um I know that I've got friends who have been looked at with suspicion when they took their nieces and nephews down to the park because they're a young man with small children Mm. and something's up with that. Try being an old man with small children, that's really hard I think these days. And that's ridiculous because what you're saying is you're making it harder for 50% of the world's parents to parent. Mm, Definitely. And... um, and I think that's ridiculous. I mean, and I think we we reinforce these stereotypes. I know um, I know friends who are thinking about having kids at this time, and they find themselves starting to think about. Well, the father starts thinking about how am I going to support my family, mm. and it's almost them. That's pushing them into a certain role as well. And where that comes from, I think, is quite interesting. Because that's almost as... That's hard work. That's just... That's hard work as well as um, being pushed into the role of being the one who always changes the nappies is hard work. Isn't the thing... I think one of the complications of all of this, though, is that a lot of the time, due to biological clocks or whatever... Mm the person who makes the decision to have the children can often at least feel, uh, if not actually completely literally be, uh, the woman. Um, In that if, you know, they say I want to have children, 
and the man has to make the decision well do i want to have children uh and i think that the the, the kind of payoff often seems to be that, that it's sort of like well if you want to have children then you know you have to look after them and uh, i don't want to give up my career and it's not a literal that it would be okay if people literally actually said that but i don't mm. think they do i think it's just a kind of instinctual feeling it's yeah, I think that that payoff, that sort of conversation mm. does happen. Probably not explicitly, but I, I think it's a um, that I would find really problematic because you absolutely would want your child to have two parents who are in it one hundred percent. And I know that obviously once the baby's there. <laughs> Most people, Most people feel, feel differently. differently, although not necessarily change their way that they relate to the mother. Yeah. I mean, that seems to often be the problem. I mean, and there is a big class issue in this. I mean, you and myself both come from probably not, not probably not simply, because there's no sort of simple mm. backgrounds anymore, but middle class backgrounds. Would yeah. you agree? Yeah. Um, and we both went to university and we both have a relatively middle-class career and we have relatively equal relationships with our partners mm-hmm. um, the the people that you work with and who I work with don't often or always or sometimes are not are not coming from those kind of backgrounds I mean I've been to sort of young parents young fathers conferences and I've been amazed and inspired by the men the young mm-hmm. men there from working-class backgrounds who are making changes and breaking with these kind of uh, more sexist and uh, anti-feminist uh, ways of, of existing. Um, why do you think, have you got anything to say about that in terms of the, the class element? I find class really problematic. Um, partly um, because it's an issue between my parents. Okay. Um, because my father's always identified himself as working class and my mum as middle class. I think that was very much an issue when they got together. But what that meant was I grew up hearing those discussions and almost feeling like, again, it was irrelevant. Mm. Because I didn't... Their discussions about Dad saying, well, yes, I know I went to university and I now have a PhD and everything, but because of where I come from, I'm working class. Mum's saying, but we live in a middle class environment. This is where we are now. And then when I was slightly older and working in a supermarket and very concerned about how much money I had in my bank account, Dad's still saying, well, you're still middle class because of where you come from. And I'm still working class when he had so much more security and everything. I think um, what I definitely recognise is different... And I I do agree with my dad much more now that where you come from informs the philosophy that you come up with mm. and that informs how you will act in your life, no matter what circumstances throw at you later. And I think... Um, that you'll find that um, 
working class in London and working class yeah. in, in working class specifically in Enfield Lock, where I live, mm-hmm. might be very very different to working class um, in Birmingham yeah. or in fact up the road in Waltham Cross or Cardiff where I grew up. Yeah, I think it's something that I continue to sort of try and develop my thinking around because I haven't got a neat answer to it yet. Yeah, so okay, so let's move and sort of go to a very different sort of time in your life, I guess, um, when you were working, I think, were you working in the, su- the supermarket? I when was this working at Spa. You were working at Spa? Yeah. I, in Lancaster? Yeah, in a place called Barham. It was five minutes from where I lived and I was also working at Sainsbury's, which was a very different experience because the local spa was very much, although it's a chain, but it was very much your local corner shop sort of atmosphere. And uh, there was a lady who used to come in every day and she would talk to us. Um, she was an older lady called Doris. She would talk to us about how she'd lived in the area for the last 60 years and she'd seen the shop in all its different, different incarnations yeah. and she'd ask us how old we were and I think she was 72 because at the time I think I was 22 Right. and she remarked on the difference 50 years makes and she would talk about her son and everything and we would order a taxi for her um, when she came in to help her her go back and um, so you felt like you had a relationship with her and several other customers which was really nice because in Sainsbury's, it's just a lot of people yelling at you to put boxes on shelves. Um, but one day I was working on the checkout and um, my manager was coming from out back. And because of the setup of the store, the bread aisle was between us and so I, I couldn't see. But she came running around the corner and went, oh my god. and. Doris had in fact collapsed. She'd very carefully, it seemed, put her basket on the freezers and then just fallen on the floor. So I ran to Doris and um, Heather, my manager, ran to the phone and called an ambulance. And I, it's ridiculous, after 10 years of girl guiding where I'd been shown the recovery position I don't know how many times, I completely didn't know what to do I had no no clue I was shouting her name I removed half of her dentures because it was sticking out of her mouth and didn't go fishing around for the other half it's it's one of those situations where you look back on it and go you knew what you were supposed to be doing why didn't you do any of it Um, but I held her hand she was breathing but she let out some um, quite hard breaths and then then she seemed to stop Um, and she died. The ambulance was called, I I got up, um, (laughs) there was a ridiculous, in the period of time before the ambulance got there, I was holding her hand and a customer came around, because of course we hadn't locked the doors, Mm. this has all happened quite quickly. 
And the customer was another older lady who leaned down, took her pulse and went, she's gone, love. Picked up a loaf of bread and went to the till. And I got up, sold her the bread <laughs> and then went back to... And afterwards, I was thinking, why on earth? Why on earth did she pick up the... And why did I then get up and sell it to her? But Jeez. you are on automatic pilot and selling bread was to be fair something i knew how to do yeah it's, i guess it's <laughs> shock isn't it a bit possibly yeah I, I knew how to sell the bread whereas helping doris was obviously beyond me um the ambulance guys got there and they um used one of those um portable defibrillator things but it, it was too late um, and I almost wished they hadn't used the defibrillator because she'd always been a very smart looking woman and it's not a smart process um, but um, I stood at the door trying to dissuade customers from coming in um, and most of them didn't listen to me it's Lancaster, a lot of um, gruff northern pensioners and I, I told <laughs> one of them there's been an accident, you can't come in and he said, but I need eggs, and pushed right past me. Wow. And then he came back and was like, I thought you meant someone had spilt something. I was like, no. But, um, yeah, and then um, Doris was taken away. Um, the police were called. Um, we found her handbag and were able to tell them her address. I mopped up the floor, because um, when someone dies, yeah. there's some mess. <laughs> took the contents of her basket and put it back on the shelves and that was it and then I served people for about 20 minutes before the manager came up to me and went you look like you're about to keel over go but, home was that the actual word she said because it seems a bit ironic and... <laughs> <laughs> something like that yeah. I mean they'd been pumping me in those sorts of situations, um, the youngest person there tends to get looked after. Yeah. And I was the youngest person there. They had, while the police had been coming, they had sat me down and about three different people had made me sweet cups of tea. Wow. And I must have been in some sort of shock because I hate sweet cups of tea and I drank them all. Right. <laughs> um, but it, it was a very bizarre situation and the, the way that um, I responded and you become very aware of the fragility of life um, and people afterwards kept going well I thought we did well yeah. I thought that went well I was looking at them going oh what what, the people in the work? In the at, work? at the shop. That everyone was going, I think that went well. I think we did really well in that situation. And I was just looking at them going, at the end of the day, in a customer service business, if a customer dies, we haven't done well. <laughs> there was a death. This was not a situation anyone came out of a winner. Yeah, but, I mean, you dealt with the situation, I guess is what they're yeah. saying. I mean, I've worked in customer services for a, yeah, a big chunk of my working life. Probably about six years. Yeah, it becomes it becomes kind of blurred when I crossed over from working in libraries to working mm -hmm. with children. But I, uh, 
Yeah, no one's ever died in any of the shops that, or libraries rather that I've worked yeah. in. I just, I just felt it was a weird situation, um, and I know they were probably in part trying to reassure me, but I just mm. thought it was a weird situation for us to be talking about how well we'd performed. Um, and other people kept coming in and going that because it, it was a relatively small community, so other people would come in and say how. Um, at least Doris had died somewhere she'd liked. And I just kept thinking, how sad. For the local spa. I mean, we'd had some nice chats, but... But maybe how, she How liked... sad for that to be the place that we think she'd have wanted to die. I mean... But in a way, maybe that says more about that person saying that than actually about Doris. Because yeah. maybe Doris wouldn't have chosen the spa as a place for her to mm. die if she'd have been able to sit down and go, where would I like to die? Yeah. The spa wouldn't necessarily have been her choice. It is... Um, people just say some very bizarre things. They do. And... Uh, and it must have been hard for you guys because she was a regular. I mean, I've, I've known regulars die... Um, but they've died not in the not in the place where we were, and it's been sad enough to know that someone who regularly came in and did the same thing every week, and it becomes your whole life in a way when you work in a customer service environment. Yeah. It becomes, you know, it, these things matter more to you than they probably would in other contexts. Yeah, and it it was very bizarre in that um, the next shift I had, I was just looking at all the customers as if at any moment any one of you could just stop. Yeah. Um, just one of those moments where you're much more acutely aware of your own mortality. That was peculiar. And she was um, the first person I'd seen. I mean, I'd, I'd seen um, my grandmother at the Undertaker's. But that's pretty made up deaf. It's she looked very peaceful, she had makeup on, it, her hands were crossed across her chest, um, deaf. And um Doris was obviously gasping for breath, urine on the floor. Yeah. Um, Physical. Yeah, and feeling that there's a moment there's life and then there's not. There really, it did feel like there was a moment when, it might not have been the moment of actual death, but there was a moment when she stopped trying to breathe. Um, and you, it makes death real in a way that I certainly wasn't aware of before. And it was very bizarre. And... Um, has really stayed with me. It's something I think about every now and again. I can um, imagine, yeah. Um, and I really, I, I mean, I have um, friends who've, who've worked in palliative care who, of course, have seen that happen on an almost daily basis. Yeah. Um, I don't think I'd be strong enough to do that. That, um, I think I would be worried about it becoming commonplace. Um... Don't get me wrong, I have a huge respect for people who can. No, I mean, my mum must have done. She was a nurse. Mm. And I know she saw people as they went um, at times. And I, I can't really comprehend it. 
Um, as a Christian, what did you think about that moment of passing? I think, as a Christian, I do believe in a better place, although I have very little idea of what such a place would be. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure I believe in a worse place. Yeah. <laughs> so, um... That's the kind of Christians I like. Well, uh, um... There is always the argument you carry your heaven and hell with you. But the... Um, so I I don't think I... I like to think that she was then suddenly watching over me. Because actually I, I like to think that my dead relatives are more at peace than worrying about my mistakes. Mm. Um, but... I think that it is a comfort around death to feel that there's something after. And I think seeing that, because I did feel there was a moment where Doris wasn't there anymore, Hmm. and that reinforced my belief in something more than physical, in a soul, as it were. If someone is sent empty, they must be empty of something. Yes. So that um, so yes, in a, in a way, it makes it easier, though I don't really have a comparison. No. Um, I know that when Luke and I um, discuss, because Luke doesn't believe necessarily in, a, in an afterlife, when we discuss things like, I don't know how this came up. But when we discuss if we were in a terrible accident or something, um, Luke doesn't want painkillers. Because he wants to remain, every moment of life, he wants to be lucid. Wow. And get as much of it as possible. I I think he's going to have to write that down, because I don't think I'd um, be strong enough to be saying to a doctor, don't give him painkillers. And he might, in the actual situation, not want it. Well, I mean, isn't there a sort of technical area as well in that there is some moments where if you don't have painkillers, the pain will make you um, unconscious. So sometimes it's the only way you can get more life out. Perhaps. I mean, I'm definitely of the opinion that if if there's a way that I can just quietly drift away, I'd be happy with that. And he always says, but you think you're going somewhere. Whereas I think this is the life I get, I'm going to make it last as long as possible. Mm. And so I suppose that um, sort of speaks to a very different view of death. And I certainly um, feel like the people that I've lost who've been close to me are still around in a very non-specific sort of sense. They're not, they're not watching you though. I oh. hope not. Yeah. Um, I kind of feel that for a start I'd probably be de- desperately disappointing for um, grandma and grandpa to know that I'm living in sin uh, <laughs> they'd be terribly worried that I was um, well we never really discussed it but um, I think that they'd be worried that that meant I wasn't properly settling down and that I was very vulnerable. Um, and I don't 
that doesn't sound like a peaceful afterlife to me. Looking down and watching future generations make all the mistakes you made and some extra ones. Yeah, it's bad enough going things aren't like they used to be yeah. when you're on Earth. If you're doing that for the rest of eternity... <laughs> yes, just just watching um, people be stupid over and over again. Yeah, I mean, it does sound... I don't know, I, I, I'm agnostic, I don't... I don't believe in, in, in anything, but I don't I don't not believe in it either. I think if um I don't know, if I'd like to think if there is some kind of heaven or afterlife that things like being worried about someone living in sin mm. that goes out the window. There's a that you sort of suddenly you can get rid of all these earthly prejudices about these kind yeah. of things and just see I don't know, love or whatever. I like, um, there's two fictional accounts of heaven that I really like. I like um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, me too, I'm up for that. Where she's just in a place of peace and um, not being worried about anything until she gets ripped out. Back to earth, yeah. Yeah, and um, The Lovely Bones, where they have sort of a um, limbo where she is watching over her family for a period. But then she moves on and she moves on to a place where she's not going to be watching over them in the same way anymore but that's okay and i i really like that as as an image because i think i think it should at least be a rest yeah um if you've gone through all the trauma of dying you should at least go good long nap afterwards <laughs> without having to worry about the fact that you've hopefully left a yeah. family and a, a group of people who loved you missing you because um, that's obviously what we all aim for to have a lot of people who care about us yeah we do so I'd probably rather not have to watch them crying and and then doing whatever they do next yeah I mean there's so many I mean it'd be like the ultimate sort of uh Big Brother as well. It would be really boring. It would just be just you know the re repetitions of if they were watching everything we did. It would just be so repetitious. Yeah, and and where do you stop? I mean, do you stop? Are you just doomed? Is Adam? I I'm not, I don't believe in the literal Adam, but for argument's sake, is Adam watch it still watching everyone? Because we're all technically great, 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 great yeah. descendants. Or or can you just draw a line at grandchildren and say that's enough? I mean, my sort of instinct is, I don't know, if, if we if we cross over into anything, it's it's something something else that we become, in a way. Mm. That, that, that if there is a soul, it's not going to be us, still completely us. It's going to be something a hell of a lot more impossible to understand than that. <laughs> well, I think, I mean, so much of us is as well connected to the physical and the circumstances we're in, you know, mm. we're hungry, we're unfit or unwell or, you know, we fancy people, we're unhappy, we're, which has physical symptoms as well. So the soul on its own would have to be just drastically different if we're saying it's not subject to any of those, any of those factors, then it would be different. And it... Yeah, I think it, it would possibly, if you've transcended 
all those earthly concerns. It might be um, hard to get really worked up over your kids' travails when you're like, yeah, it'll all be fine, just chill out. See yeah. you in a bit. Sort of like, uh, I don't know, sort of, I, I, I sort of feel that that's, a lot of people think that his Dark Materials is completely an atheist tract, but I, mm. I, I, I sort of see, see this kind of thing that we're talking about as being very much like the dust. I don't know if you read His Dark Materials, probably not, because it's something that you, well... My mum actually bought it for me. Okay. Um, because quite apart from any of the philosophy behind it, it's a mm. good book. It's great. Um... I read it a very long time ago, so my yeah. memory of it isn't great. But I... It's interesting. I always think that um, there are a lot of books that are about the dangers of bad religion that people say are anti-Christian. Mm. And that might be what he meant when he wrote the book. Yeah. I don't know. But... I think that being, I think there's a difference between being anti-Christian and anti-church or anti-bad church. Yeah. Um, and I, and also, I, it goes back to the philosophy thing. I'm happy to read people who disagree with me, as long as they're not, you know, trying to force it down my throat. The way many people feel about well that's my where phone. that's where I think that, that those books actually achieve something because if I listen to Richard Dawkins going on about why people shouldn't be religious it winds me up because he's such a fundamentalist about it whereas mm. if I read Philip Pullman although Richard Dawkins and Philip Pullman might very well agree with each other philosophically mm. and whatever Philip Pullman is a writer and he's telling a story and stories in themselves can't ever give you a complete answer. The best stories allow you to draw your own conclusions and that's what I think his Dark Materials do. I think it, it does have a holiness in it and the idea of the sort of the dust and that we are all, you know, the atoms become the earth and the... the the earth then, you know, has more people on mm. it and that we are all just particles that came out from the Big Bang and uh, that is holiness, that is spirituality yeah. and for me if, if that's the closest I am to anything and I, I think if if we die then that's 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 where the the soul goes to the next, to, to, to everything, to the kind of infinite, I guess. There's um, a science fiction show that I love called Babylon 5, and the Membari have a faith that we are all part of the universe, that the universe has broken itself into bits and it's trying to understand itself through people going through their individual journeys. And then, so when people die, their soul goes into other bits of the universe to keep trying to understand it. And although obviously it's a made-up religion, I like that idea. Sounds good. And I think um, I think that a lot of things, a lot of people that I speak to, um, have the sort of idea of, of being part of something larger that transcends them without necessarily being within a religious framework. 
and that definitely sits very well with my idea of Christianity, you know, I can see the common ground there. I never thought about um, talking to you about Christianity, but as soon as you mentioned it, I realised it was a, a direction that we could have, I should go, and I have gone quite Excellent. a way. Excellent. Well, I mean, it's it's a big part of who I am and how I look at the world, although um, I didn't go to church at Christmas because I overslept, um, and that... Well, that's kind of a that's actually kind of a big deal for me because it's the first year I haven't gone because I'm always at, at home for Christmas. What? Did you, how did you feel when you realised you'd overslept? Um, guilty and a little bit like um, there's a part of my identity that I'm at risk of leaving behind. Okay. Um, because I, when I was a child, I was very much involved in the church. I. Um, I went to a C of E school, um, but when I was in the sixth form I was involved in our Christian Union at school and it was full of some very earnest, quite rigid Christians and they put me off slightly. Now, 17 year old enthusiasts are quite off-putting in any <laughs> circumstance, I think. Um, when yeah. you're, I think when you're new to an idea and you're that young, you get so excited about it and you become very, um, very rigid about what you think about it. Um, and it was very different from my way of thinking, having been brought up with it and having had those sorts of conversations with my parents, questioning things quite a lot that they really put me off. Things like, which of the gifts of the Spirit have you experienced? And you're sat there going, because the Bible tells of various gifts of the Spirit and speaking in tongues and healing with hands and things like that. And I remember saying to someone, well, my understanding is you only get them if you need them. Um, and also I hope God knows me well enough to know that if I suddenly started speaking in another language, I'd probably just get myself checked out by a mental health professional. Yeah, so that's always my feeling. I wouldn't find it helpful. It wouldn't be a thing for me. And she just went, well, maybe, you know, if you're strong in faith. <sighs> and I just remember thinking, I'm, I think I am strong in faith. And I don't think that what she was talking about sounded to me like hysteria and whilst I do know people who've had those experiences and they sound genuine um, sometimes I hear about these things and I take them with a pinch of salt mm. because um, I do believe in the gifts of the spirit but I think they're a lot more rare <laughs> I've been to Quakers a few times with Zoe and I always go and think that that's something that I'm missing, that feeling of spiritual connection to something um, that you do get from fellowship, from being with other people who believe. And yet I never seem to go independently. It's, it's bizarre. The, um, there's a church down the road. 
I have saved on my phone their website, so I know all <laughs> their um, service times. Yeah. I haven't been, and we've been here nearly a year. We'll go to church. I should. I should. I I do feel like it's um part of my identity that I'm losing, and I don't quite know why I haven't made it a priority. It's bizarre, and I think I either need to start actually going or admit to myself that I'm not going, going to. to. One or the other needs to happen quite soon. That seems like a, an interesting place to be in. Um, I don't want to. I wouldn't even on, <laughs> even on 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 tape. I wouldn't want to uh, influence you either way um, on that. Um, did you go to a comprehensive school? Yes. And well, a C of E comprehensive. Ah, school. right. So it was because I, I don't know. Maybe there was a Christian union at my school but it just seems strange thing to have at a school but that's, that's well we were a cv school so it was um so in theory everyone came from a, a christian background so you don't need a union then if you're already it was very bizarre um there was a lot of argument about how the head had stopped um various activities of the christian union because and meetings at people's houses couldn't be called Christian Union activities because they couldn't be seen as a school activity. And the rumour was, this might not be accurate, but the rumour was that there'd been some laying on of hands and someone had got really quite upset. Uh. And then they'd um, obviously complained to the school that what on earth are you doing? And so... The um, Christian Union like to think of themselves as rebels. <laughs> it's Christian a really Union bizarre. At a CIV school, were rebels. Yeah, you get a lot of people who are drawn to the dramatic, who are drawn to the extremes of any sort of belief or politics or whatever, and they make it very hard for everyone else who believes that way for slightly calmer reasons. I have to be careful because I tend to turn into a bit of a apologist. I'm a Christian, but I'm not one of those Christians. Oh, right. I'm a Christian, but I don't believe in this. Or Well, I think that's a healthy way in some ways to be. I think. On the other hand, I think when I say I'm a Christian, but, it makes it sound like I'm ashamed of it. That's true, too. Um, when I was a much more strongly practising Christian, I was proud of the church I was in, um, the church my parents still attend, does a lot of work in the community, does a lot of, of things. Um, I was proud of the people I'd met there. Um... I was not so much proud of my faith, because that sounds like it's some sort of achievement, but um, I was happy and secure in my faith. But suddenly I got to university and all the Christians I saw were these loud, flamboyant people who were doing things that I didn't want to be associated with, so I started saying I'm a Christian but Yeah, and I need two nice people from the Christian Union. Just to make make it clear that there were. A oh, I'm sure there were. That's the thing. That's the problem with any sort of um, system. The the nice ones are sometimes the ones that you are the ones that aren't accosting you on the street, asking you, "Do you believe in hell?" <laughs> yeah. um, they're they're not those ones. The problem is the people who are asking you if you believe in hell are the ones you're seeing very definitely front and center. Yeah, my my teenage. Uh... My teenage atheist self would be ashamed to 
believe that I would be defending people who are in the Christian Union at this age. So I, I've, 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 I've come a long way. Uh, <laughs> that that me, surprises me. Um, I mean, Christianity is all right. Uh, all of the religions generally, they're okay. Uh, in my view, in moderation, the, the basic tenets of their beliefs, there's something like love or... I mean, I always yeah. say that, you know, most of the... Sermon on the Mount is all right. Uh, it's good, not just all right, you know, very good, and that, that, that love thy neighbour and all sorts of things like that. I can see the reason for them, yeah. those kind of ways of being. But, I mean, the problem with Christianity or any of the other religions comes, I think, when it influences people to not love thy neighbour. So the, the homophobia of pretty much all major religions, Christianity is not by any means the only one. Or... I have always, um, the way I was taught to think about my faith was um, in the most simplistic way, God is love. And the way that I feel when I pray is, is a feeling of being connected with something benevolent. Um, I have always found it very difficult to appreciate the um, more judgmental aspects of religious life. And I've had um, Christians and non-Christians tell me if you don't believe in the literal truth of the Bible, you can't be a Christian. Um, and then I've had other, the same non-Christians tell me, but there are lots of contradictions in the Bible. And I. I do feel that people need to remember that it wasn't like God sent a dictation machine down and someone wrote it down as a whole book and there it was and and nothing happened. It's something like 39 books mm. written over the course of 3,000 years. Yeah, a lot of time, yeah. Um, but weren't the tablets the dictation machine that were sent down um, that Moses found? And the, some of them are a bit problematic. There's a lot of rules in the Bible, and a lot of them are said to come from the period where um, the Jewish people were uh, wandering the desert. Yeah. And so a lot of them make sense for people wandering, wandering the, the desert. desert yeah. So things like um, don't eat the cloven hooved animals, because they're not very hygienic in a, a desert environment, so let's not eat no, them. No, I mean, that, that's fair enough. And even to a certain extent, things like homophobia. In, in those rules, because you need your young men to be off creating more healthy young men. And okay. You, so I I kind of feel like. What about living in sin? Um, which you're doing, and I then am. you weren't allowed to. I think that had I been born even. Had I been born even 30 years earlier, I probably wouldn't have agreed to live in sin. Okay. I think it's very much... With a heathen? With a heathen? Yeah. I, that was a surprise to me. That <laughs> 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 um, as a as a 16-year-old, that the fact that um, I'm living in sin, haven't decided if, let alone when, we're having children, um, I'm living with someone who isn't particularly religious, that is not what I would have anticipated but life's what happens when you're making other plans and I I now 
I've certainly never met anyone else I would have considered living with. Still, I don't see it, it gives you any advantage necessarily to not live in sin if you're crossing the desert. Most people wouldn't um, consider that murdering your daughter if she doesn't follow the rules of the house is a correct... But in... I forget which book, Leviticus perhaps, think, yeah, that's a completely acceptable course of action. Yeah. Um, selling your daughter into slavery, killing her, it, it's all... But none of these people who argue about the literal truth of the Bible um, are saying that we should do that. I like to try and um, respect everyone's religious beliefs, but I find that really problematic. Um, but then, I believe a man who got nailed to a bit of wood and then died and came back three days later. So, that in its own way is completely illogical and... I don't know if, I don't know if logic matters. I think the people who think it matters completely, that it is the only answer, are probably... Um, very good at making decisions. Uh, yes. But not necessarily the right ones. It, it's interesting because actually um, the uh, whole living in sin thing is a completely for faith and I called my parents to let them know that I was going to do this thing. I was like, um, well... Mum, Dad, Luke and I have been talking and um, I'm not sure I want to live in the shed house anymore and it makes sense. Or, and my dad just said, Elspeth, it sounds like you're apologising. What are you apologising for? <laughs> I was like, well, because we'll be living together and, and we won't be getting married. And my dad was just, oh, well, if that's what you want to do... That's fine. I was like, good, because I was going to do it anyway. He was like, I know. <laughs> it was this whole um, thing where I was expecting my parents to have a very different attitude to the one that it turned out that they had. Oh, it's like this heterosexual version of coming out or something. <laughs> oh, it was... Um, we, we don't do this in our family. To be honest, I think if I had kids, I would want to be married. Because I feel like um, having that structure is... And making that decision, you know, you've made a decision to be married. And it's going to be, you know, complicated to get out of. So you've got that framework that not doesn't necessarily keep you together but at least says that at one point you intended to yeah yeah um i think legally speaking there are some reasons for marriage as well as the kind of religious ones or whatever that, that there are some there are there are some reasons to have a socially binding contract yeah. for a child <clears throat> i'm one of these people who believes that that um well ultimately i don't think it matters it wouldn't matter if we didn't have the world we have, but as we have the world we have, it's better to have a socially binding contract. Mm -hmm. But I'd like, um, I'd like heterosexuals to be able to have uh, the same rights as gay people and have a civil partnership. Um, I 
um, I mean, would I, like gay people to be able to get married. Yeah, that's the subversive I, way of put it, saying the same thing. I, I'm sort of yeah. saying we should both be allowed to get married, definitely, mm. and we should both be allowed to have a civil partnership. Well, see, the I thing think. with the civil partnership is, um, although I absolutely agree that it's a brilliant thing, is that it's all the rights and responsibilities of marriage without calling it marriage, which kind of feels like something's being withheld. Yeah, but then if you don't call it marriage, then what you can say is, I love this person and I want to be responsible uh, for them and for any children that come up, but I do not recognise the institution of marriage as having a history that is worthy or... uh, Gen, gen, split correctly in terms of gender equality and homo, homo, homosexuals being allowed to and all these things and saying let's create a, and, and also it's it's mm. explicitly saying this connection is nothing to do with religion which mm. is important to some people to do I once really offended a friend of mine because someone we knew had got engaged and we were talking because we're girls in a very traditional sense of being girls about how we'd get married but I was saying if the person I was with wasn't religious I wouldn't want to get married in church because I'd feel like that was hypocritical because you have to make promises in front of God and you don't want anything that's said on your wedding day to be a lie yeah definitely (laughs) you want what you're saying to be honest so um, and I was saying, well, there's there's far too many people who just get married in a church because they want the pretty white dress and the steeple and confetti and everything, whereas that's actually almost insulting to the religious nature of the building and the ceremony because you're play-acting. Mm. It's like um, when people come to church to when we used to go to church we'd um dad wouldn't wear a suit because he said he wore a suit all week he didn't see why wearing one to church would make any difference to god whatsoever and um but you'd always see like a a line of young adults at the back waiting in suits and very smart um waiting for bands to be read or um their child to be christened I think it's important if you're going to engage with the ceremony to, in a church to engage with all of it to mean it And but I offended this friend because she was saying well my sister got married in the church and she's not religious at all there's nothing wrong with it and I was just looking at her going okay good for your sister um, I still think what I think sorry yeah I mean it's a tricky one uh, not offending people and believing in things. I mean, yeah. at the end of the day, all of us probably nearly. I mean, even even not believing is a belief. We're always going to offend some people sometime. Mm. But hopefully, this won't offend you to to say. Okay. But uh, this is the around about the end of the interview. And the question I'm asking everybody is: Do you have anything that you want to plug? I suppose there's definitely things I wish people would do more of. I guess. Um, thing I suppose I I would always try and plug on people is that so funny um, if you believe in something like um, I don't know something political or a charity or something like that you need to actually do something about it 
otherwise nothing happens. And I, it goes back to um, my work as a social worker, because obviously a lot of people have a lot of views about what's happening in social care at the moment. But if no one does anything about it, whatever you dislike is going to keep happening. Um, and obviously what we've been discussing about religion. If I don't actually get up on my backside and go to church, I'm not a Christian anymore. So that's, well, you can be a Christian and not attend church, but not in the same way. That's an incredibly disorganised thought to leave you with. Well, that's a, it's an interesting thought to leave us, to leave them in uh, this conversation with. So, uh, yeah. So it's been a pleasure getting uh, acquainted with you, Elspeth, and um, so should we say goodbye? Goodbye, yes, thank you very much. Thank you. You can find Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter, at GBA Podcast. Uh, you can find it on Facebook, it's Getting Better Acquainted. Have a search on Facebook and like it. Or you can find it on the website, www.gettingbetteracquainted.co.uk. You can also subscribe by searching on iTunes and subscribing to us that way. There are lots of ways to get better acquainted.